And boom, we're back for another exciting episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winter, and I'm here as always with the illumined Dr. Bear Paul Lando coming to you live and direct from the great state of Jefferson here on the beautiful Smith River. Frosty morning this morning. We had our, I think, our one of our first hard frosts, uh, Bear, of the season, if at least over here on this side of the river. Burr. Now we just need a little more precipitation to get some snow in the mountains. I mean, there is snow-capped mountains behind Crescent City right now, but I want to go snowboarding. Very excited about this time of year for that purpose. Uh, and uh, yeah, but whoa, frosty this morning, got a sweatshirt on. Um, quickly, it's like fall's gone, winter's here. It is what it is. Uh, we are in wild, wild times. And uh, we have Jason Brashears from Archaics with us today. I want to jump right into this. We have a special Q&A session today, and as well as uh, just a deeper discussion around all of his work. He is maybe one of the hottest YouTube channels out there right now, growing rapidly, and a ton in our community are constantly bombarding us about his information, so we had to have him back on. Berlando, any notes from the farm before we have Jason in here? No, I want to get right into this. We have a <clears throat> way too much to talk about with Jason here. Wonderful, beautiful. Well, in this much anticipated sequel, Jason Brashears from archaics.com sheds timely light on the true nature of our technological realm through a lens of current events. Many of us are now aware of the mass changes just visible on the collective horizon. Why has the most basic knowledge concerning the nature of our realm been guarded by a select few and increasingly transparent to some while meeting scathing rebuff by those not yet up to task? We'll most definitely entertain these questions and as per Jason's request, addressed a comp compilation of queries curated from the AV community at large. For those new to Jason's work, familiarize yourself with his foundational research and concepts introduced in our first time. We had Jason on AlphaCast uh, a few months back now. I think that was like early summer, um, which was, are we in a false reality simulacrum? Um, definitely, if you're listening to this right now uh, as a podcast or just jumping into this, maybe hit pause if you're not familiar with Jason's work and go watch that first, because we're not going to really rehash core principles of Jason's uh, foundational work. We're going to really push the limits of where we're going now. So just a note there. Um, while Jason's simulation theory may be a stretch for some, the depth and breadth of his informational base is formidable, while some of the conclusive links drawn are undeniable, which we'll touch on more today. His quote, history repeats itself, first as tragedy, second as farce, by Karl Marx, the occultist. <laughs> Your AlphaCast hosts have more than touched upon the possible origins of our experience in a good number of presentations, that being Bear and I with all these wonderful guests of late. I mean, we've had this concurrent theme of this going on from even Paul Levy last week with Watiko, Howdy McCoskey the week before. Um, who else? I mean, Bear, we've we've touched on this a lot about uh, Gnosticism and related to Hermeticism and as above, so below. And then, of course, uh, the calendar, all the different calendars and historical perspectives through the occulted uh, knowledge that has come through the mystery schools and secret societies. Um, and really, Jason has really... Um, I think come to the forefront in our community in many ways because he's able to really put forth a theory of his own that is heavily uh, based uh, on um, 
factual documentation and actual mathematical uh, representation through his charting and all of that, which we'll get into today, his isometric uh, uh, analysis, uh, his ability to link up uh, numerology in ways that I haven't really seen before. It's beyond basic stuff like gematria and, um, you know, more rudimentary things we see uh, in the quote unquote truther movement. Uh, and also Jason, who had the benefit of really, and, and this is horrendous, he was locked in a cage for 20 years, but he took that as an advantage for him to essentially read eight hours a day, um, all the wonderful um, books he had at his disposal, which is something that most people would never have the have the access to do. And he's transmuted that that horrendous um, sort of um, uh, multi-decade experience into something of beauty. So that's something that I have mad respect for. Um, Berlando, uh, what are we getting into today? This is uh, uh, one of the most anticipated shows of the year for us. Yeah, I, I almost don't know where to start. So why don't we just say, uh, welcome, Jason. Thanks so much for being back. You know, we have wanted to have you back for quite a while. And I was explaining that, you know, we get into our farming season and everything, and we're just trying to keep our head above water. But, uh, you know, you have been one of the most requested people and for good reason. Um, and just to let you know, too, uh, you know, I know you're down there in Texas and we're doing our best to send all of our California undesirables down to you guys. <laughs> So I hope you appreciate that. And uh, probably with time, you'll want to move up here with us once we get the place cleaned out. So uh, Jason, welcome. And thanks again for being here. Um, you know, in our, our first episode, our first interview with you is a wonderful chat. And, uh, you know, as Mike was already explaining, we get quite a bit into what you could loosely call simulation theory. Um, I don't believe it's a theory, but I approach it more from the science of how the simulation is created and our role in pure consciousness of uh, being co-creators of that simulation. Now, the question is, is how many overlays of technological constructs are there? Uh, who is in control of that? And, um, you know, that's uh, really quite a contrast, I think, from the original uh simulation we'll call it uh from the creator uh and perhaps the original intentions of that before all these overlays so the question is you know who's doing what why and so forth this is a great time uh to be alive i believe because you know I, i've had to really delve into the science because uh that's what involves my work so i have to know what makes things tick and uh, you bring, again, this uh, this other aspect to the work of just these historical timelines, connecting all the dots, just research that, you know, people like myself couldn't possibly achieve. And I think we're all putting our heads together in the nick of time here and connecting dots. It would be difficult to do if there's just any one of us trying to do this, you know, the thing all by ourselves. So I'd like to jump right into it. And uh, Mike has some questions that he's compiled from our community. Uh, last time we talked, uh, you know, after the interview, we said, hey, wouldn't it be a good idea to, you know, to do that? So we've, uh, we have uh, gathered together some questions. I have some questions of my own, but we'll let our audience have first stab. Uh, I'm gonna let Mike go ahead and go through those questions. But, uh, you know, what I'd like to start things off with today is, 
you have a, a really, I think, uh, an authentic perspective as far as what's going on today. You know, we're always hearing about the white hats and the plan and and uh, the bad guys, uh, you know, doing unspeakable things to children in caves and and all sorts of things. Uh, I've always had the, the belief that a lot of that is a distraction from something much bigger that's going on. And, um, you know, it's the oldest trick in the book, you know, have people look somewhere else uh, so they can do what they really want to do. And I believe their only plan is, is ourselves as aspects of pure consciousness. And we can get into that a little bit so that people don't think that we're going into a overly pessimistic discussion because it's all uh, positive, you know, when when you understand, you know, uh, what we're capable of, each of us. And uh, so maybe uh, if you could just give us a little bit of a uh, an overview of what you see going on relative to current events and, uh, you know, uh, what's really happening behind the scenes. We'll just leave it there. But thanks again, Jason. I know you're uh, busy and very popular man these days and uh, you making time for us is very special. So we appreciate it. I enjoyed being here. I, I enjoyed our last podcast. And uh, as I've said in the past, I have done podcasts with, with many individuals, not basically because it's, it takes no effort on my part to answer questions. They don't cost me anything. And yet people will find value in the answers. Even when I've gone on and moved on and I'm doing other things, people can go back and watch those videos or listen to them again or come to them in, in first contact. And uh, so it's an investment. Every every podcast that I've done with different people with different personalities was able to elicit different responses from me because the questions came from multiple different perspectives. I, I value that. I value the fact that that it's understood. I'm just one man. I may I may be multifaceted, but so is everybody else. But in order to get the real information that you're looking for, it's going to take the right questions. It takes certain inquiries to, to derive the data that, that, you, that you're looking for. The same person could never do could never provide an overall spectrum. I have a lot of information in my head, but I really but it's just like you. I don't know everything at the exact same time. It's going it to, memories have to be triggered. Research has to be triggered. I've, I've been asked definitive questions and didn't even realize that, wait a minute, I had shelved all that research. I know exactly the answer to this question. No one has even made me think in this vein in years. And then it would end up being a two or three moments of absolute genius. And, and it's not for me. It's just research that I put aside and never mentioned because I forgot about it. So, uh, that's why I do the podcast. I do the podcast. A lot of people ask me podcasts and I look at their channels and I, and I, and I, and I make a, I make a, just a, it's just, I go by intuition. Is, is this going, is this going to move and move our cakes in the direction it needs to be? Is this going to bring value to, to the listeners in this channel here? And, you know, there's been some pretty large channels that I've refused because while it would have benefited me as far as giving me more subs, the actual subject matter of those channels is not anything even relative to archaics. And uh, so I'm not, I'm not going to prostitute myself for, for, uh, for subs. I'm not, a channel is going to have to be, is going to have to be relative. We're going to have to be able to, to come have a meeting of the minds. Even if we disagree, it doesn't mean we're not having a meeting of the minds. It means that we're not vibrating on the, uh, on the same frequency because our frames of reference are different. Well, but the more we explore these flame frames of reference, 
people start to realize, wow, we, we all basically have the core, the same core beliefs. We just have to remove all the dressing, all the cultural attachments, all the religious attachments. Once we remove all the dressings, almost everybody has the same fundamental ideas and beliefs about reality. So as far as current events go, yes, my take is very different. And it has been since I released my first predictions videos over 18, 19, 20 months ago. I still stick to those videos. Nothing has changed. Uh, none of my predictions videos get amended. I don't take them off. I don't take them off the, the Internet. I'm still adamant about uh, especially I, I gave a recap recently with David Nino Rodriguez and I explained to him that, listen, it's like one group, one group that is all allied to each other acting as marionettes, pretend that they're they're the enemy of another group that are also marionettes, but all the strings go to the same puppet master. It's the same stage, it's the same play, only the audience is different. Many of many people in the audience, in the amphitheater, they're participants. Then there are the few in the audience who are observers. They don't care in either way. They understand that it's all, it's all a sham to control the collective. So this, this difference between Democrats and, and Republicans and conservatives and liberals, it says there are differences on its face, but all the way up to the federal level, either party is going to do what the puppet master wants them to do. And it has always been this way. And anybody who gets in the way gets eliminated. And we have seen this in American history as well. So I'm a, uh, yeah, my take is very different. We're moving, we're moving into conservatism now. Oh, the liberal socialist Democrats in the United States of America are falling hard right now. The midterm elections wasn't anything you think it was. The media has steadily pushed out that it wasn't successful victories, but it was. This was a 10th Amendment war. This war was all about the individual state legislatures being able to legislate for themselves so that the feds cannot federalize uh, all kinds of uh, statutes and, and basically take over uh, the state's individual 10th Amendment rights. And the legislatures won. The super majorities are secure. The Republicans are, gonna, are coming right back into power again. Uh, I've st I'm still holding to the original prediction and nothing changes. They're going to remove Joe Biden. So no nothing's changed. I mean, I don't really have an update because I've never altered from the trajectory that from the from from the initial videos 19 and 18 months ago. Now I've done I've done recap videos where I've added more to more information, but history is scripted, not just history, but the future is scripted for the collective. And they even revealed the script. World World War One. And World War II happened exactly the way the script was published in the 1880s. Exactly. So World War III is going to happen that way as well. And from the beginning, World War III was going to use the finances and the people and the ideology of the Americans, the United States of America. And it was going to be a new crusade. And it's going to be a world war between Christianity and Islam. And this midterm election is the very beginning of the pendulum swing. Now all the all these all these state state governments, the mayors, the governors, all liberals and all, all they're all going to be removed. And you already see the signs of this in all the liberal platforms, all the talking heads and all the pundits, all the night show hosts. They're losing their jobs. They've lost their ratings. There's major shakeups at CNN and all the other uh, liberal uh, media establishments. This is the beginning. And, and they've been falling for 90 days now. So. This is the beginning where the tide turns. And so we're going to see, you know, in the next year or so, major changes sweeping throughout the United States, but it's going to go puritanical. 
It's going to go to where the Christian right actually takes power and begins to legislate. No, no division between church and state. And this is necessary because they're going to, the, the elite are going to uh, in, basically inspire, probably through terrorist acts, a, a, a whole new American hatred of Islam and Muslims in Middle Eastern countries. And the focus is going to be Jerusalem. And they're going to allow Muslim nations to take Jerusalem so America will react. And this, this is all scripted. This is not Jason making anything up. All of this was published in the 1800s. So you're talking about uh, Pike, you're talking about Pike. And, Albert Pike, Morals yeah, and Dogma, yeah, and, yeah. And, the, and the man for which uh, we got the word mafia from. I can't remember his. I can't remember his full name, but I published his story on Facebook in the Archaics group. The origin of the word mafia is an acronym that comes from this man who was writing the script for for basically world domination and how you do it, how you secure total world domination from the perspective of a certain ethnicity that wants to control the entire world. And they have to use all other races and religions against each other in order to secure that victory. And that's the plan. And they've never deviated from that. And it's very easy for them to fulfill this role and continue the script because they are, they are genius at what they do. They knew from the beginning they could never allow socialists and liberals to just steadily run down America. America will hit a tipping point, and so were other Western nations. So now we enter the period of, of relief, of relaxation. We're, going, we're entering a new period of false security. It's going to be a more peaceful period. It's going to be uh, the economy is going to, going to bounce back. This is not a full systemic economic collapse. And I've been saying that from the beginning, just like I was predicting 20 months ago, that people need to quit panicking about the COVID deal because this is going to pass as well. Now, I, got, now I, I, do, have some, I do have some critics who say, well, COVID's still around. Oh, you're full of shit. But I'm talking about the fear mongering that was so prevalent two years ago when everybody was saying this is the new normal we'll always have to wear masks well, they're going to make all of us do this now they've already started making it do it so people can keep their jobs now we're going to have to have certain visas listen worldwide all of that is relaxed all of that is relaxed people can go places without masks on no one no government has forced you to do this unless you were trying to keep a certain job the majority of the population have not taken that it said you you can now travel again so everything about the prediction was absolutely true that this was temporary and it was going to be a relaxation of all this but of course people are always going to isolate particulars and try to need try to needle somebody that it didn't become 100% true but i'm not worried about those people those are the exact same people who never provide value to the world so they try to steal what little value that you provide and i get this my whole life is like that i have many people attacking me like that so i don't really care but it's a, um yeah it was giuseppe mazzini by the way who yes that's his name that's his name yeah. yes and mafia yeah and his yeah mafia was actually an acronym M-A-F-I-A was actually an acronym about using all lies to say it's an Italian using all lies, deception in the media to to wage war uh, against a people who have no idea they're having war waged against them. And that's the original term mafia, what it meant. But it goes back to the scripted three world wars. So if a. Uh, if 66.6% of, of a plan came to came to fruition exactly the way that they published that plan, then I have no doubt that the rest of the plan will go that way too, because it doesn't matter about the marionettes. It doesn't matter the affiliations of the marionettes. They're still attached to the same puppeteer, the puppet master. 
he, he controls both, both sets of marionettes on the left and on the right. So, uh, yeah, my, my view is very different and it's, it's cynical, but I think it's also practical. I think that, that we are trained by the media to be polarized and people want to say, man, I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican, that's all I stand for. And that's cool because I do. I'm conservative and I'm Republican. But in the end, what does it really mean when the leaders that, that I've been given to choose from are already bought and sold? No matter what my leaders do, they still do what the elite want them to do. It's all it's all smoke and mirrors. And I just don't I don't believe in uh, I don't believe in this future utopia people see uh, from a political perspective. I do see a future utopia in culture, in spirituality. I do not see it in politics. Well, we, uh, you know, your work of is, is of great value because you're looking at the long term patterns. And uh, when we, you do that, of course, it's less easy to get distracted by the pendulum swing, which, you know, most of the folks out there are in this hypnotic trance of, you know, right now, left and so forth. And it just keeps going back and forth. And yes, uh, what we're seeing now, of course, you have uh, done a great job in, in explaining how the 1902 reset set up the whole financial system that is just now playing out and setting us up for exactly what you're saying. And of course, that brings us to the next reset, which is uh, what, 2040, which I know is probably too much to get into the whole thing. Now, I'm more interested into uh, 2046, which is probably another uh, podcast, but if we can touch on that as well. Um, but I, do, I have like a to proceed one, from here. Um, one, Mike, do you one, have... Well, one second, Bear. Go I do ahead. have another data point for 1902, Jason. I don't know if you sure. have talked okay. about, do you know the mystic Gurdjieff? Am I saying his name right, Bear? Yes, I'm aware of him, yes. He talks yeah. about how in 1902, there was a great disaster spiritually that shifted the entire realm and that we had a chance to stop it and didn't. Um, I recently was listening to a fantastic show we like dark journalist where he was talking about Gurdjieff again and he mentions right his writings and he specifically said 1902 I thought that was really interesting wow I, I watched a dark journalist the other day and uh I mean I like him I like I, I liked his his energy and well, I mean chronologically though and I even mentioned it on one of my own YouTube videos that he and I would never agree because he was mentioning some dates and how far in ancient past that they were and I just I've already corrected all that in my own videos. He probably hasn't watched those videos, but uh, as far as dark journalists go, that's a, that's interesting. But Gurdjieff was the teacher of one of my favorite all-time authors. That was P.D. Alspinsky, uh, the Russian. Alspinsky, yeah. So, yeah. yes, I love that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Tertium Organum is one of my favorite mm -hmm. books even today. It was very difficult for me to get through the first time. But once my mind wrapped around this whole idea of, of a construct, I was sold. I was sold. Uh, it's a, uh, yeah, it, everything makes sense to me. Now I understand why, why mathematics and geometry is absolutely so important, because that is the language of coding. Coding is always structured in geometrical principles. And I like P.D. Alspinsky, but I'm even more interested in what you just told me. If you would send me an email where I can find this video or information that 1902 was a, a spiritual darkness or something, I am 100% in agreement with that. It was a lot more than that. 
but because because this is a hollow holosphere because this is a hologram the changes that came in 1902 were not only geographical like i documented they were not only cultural and financial like i documented there were also other changes on other levels so such bizarre such bizarre changes that we have almost no history of the years leading up to 1902. It's like the 1890s are a dearth of information, a dearth of publications, a dearth of anything new being introduced into the world, unlike the 1870s and 1880s. It's almost as if the people in the know in the 1890s were hiding. They left, which is the same thing that's going to happen before 2040. The elite are not going to hide on 2040. They are going to be hermetically sealed underground facilities they've probably been using over and over many times by at least 2034, 2035, way before 2040. And they're going to stay past 2046. Those facilities are designed to stay 2025 years. So uh, we can get into 2046 if you want to, but I'd like to answer whatever yeah. questions before because well, that's, that's a dissertation there. I think a good start would be in uh, refuting what is in popular um, sort of new age speak, uh, also in a lot of the alternative history. This You pretty much stick to like a 7,000 his, uh, year history or thereabouts going back to 5,000, what, uh, what's the exact date? I'm blanking right now. 5,239 5, BC. Yeah, and that's because you say that's the last sort of uh, place where around that time that we have a written record of of a human um civilization or hu of humanity but then we also have um people like uh, J uh john anthony west you know talking about the older sphinx and um we have uh you know graham hancock and these guys talking about um the younger dryas event and how that wiped out atlantis and um Ubeki Tepley and these other archaeological digs that seem to go way older than that. I know you've talked about this in other videos, but I know a lot of people bring that up as a counter to your sort of cosmological narrative about the history of man. Um, what is your really your defining thesis of why you must stick to that? And do you ever, you know, suppose that maybe just because we don't have that written history that it doesn't exist somewhere it's been hidden by literally the, the ai control systems by the quote-unquote wannabe elites etc and that you may be limiting your scope of history in that way okay this is this is this is something i've been wanting to answer so i'm glad you asked it uh, first, it sounds like the question is loaded with baggage that doesn't belong. And I'm not being critical of, of the inquiry. I need, I, need, I need you to understand something. Over and over on my own channel, I have admitted. Now, my critics don't watch my videos. My critics, are my, I have many, many critics, and it's very evident from watching their videos that they, they don't listen to them. But in my own videos, I have admitted multiple times that 5239 BC is as far as the archaics data will go back because I'm a chronologist. I have always admitted there may be things way before that, civilizations and all that, but not Atlantis, not Gobleki Tipi, not Catalhuyuk. And I and I, I cite those reasons why those sites are no longer, no nowhere near as old as we've been told. Now, I have never negated that there could be histories going that further back. We have the Denosians, we have the Magdalenians, we have all the different, different subtypes of Cro-Magnon. We know that things were going on in the ancient world. But as a chronologist, the entire archaic thesis only goes back to 5239 BC. All the evidence from all the calendar systems in the world 
only go back to the 35th century, the 44th century, and the 53rd century BC. That's as far as I can, I can go back. I can't go back. Anything beyond that is entirely theoretical. So I do not discount that there were histories before then. I just can't entertain them. And the second answer to the question is, I have a real problem with Graham Hancock and Andrew Collins and all these people that perpetuate this younger Dryas period because they're trying to marry two entirely different systems together. And this is where all the corruption in the historical record appears. Let me, let me explain. In order for you to believe that there was any human activity or any cities and civilizations, infrastructures in the younger Dryas period, in the younger Dryas period, period, we have to adopt a system of analysis that has already been disproven multiple times by the scientific community. Every single relative dating method that's ever been promoted has also been shown when peer-reviewed to produce alternate dates. It doesn't matter if you use something as sophisticated as potassium argon dating, if you use the old carbon-14 models, if you use the ice core, the ice core samples, which have proven to be very unreliable because when it is now understood that the ice cores do the same thing that dendrochronology discovered. Because all the textbooks are still using the old observations from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s when they use the ice core samples and they use the dendrochronology to confirm them. The problem is no one's going back to rewrite those textbooks now that new scientific discoveries are showing that trees can produce two and three rings a year and that ice gets laid down in deposits as many times as many as four to six times a year in, in the ice core samples. And it, that has absolutely corrupted and made the relative dating methods of those two of those two methods absolutely bogus. We can we can rely on those two those two methods, not at all. Carbon 14, which was developed by Libby has been disproven by almost every scientist that has ever used it because they have to practice exclusions to maintain their funding. And there are many books that talk about this. One of my favorites is Evolution Cruncher, which is about 900 pages, which gives you hundreds of, uh, hundreds of examples of tests that were made using relative dating methods, and they all proved false. Even things that were relatively new that were put in the ground were tested, and it gave, it gave dates that were thousands of years old. So, we have, when you practice exclusions, which is the scientific community does, they'll take 60 tests. Then they will find the test, they will find the common, there may be 17 of those 60 that gives them all an approximate within 50 years. They will run with that and delete all the other ones and then publish the 17. And then when the 17 tests are published, it's very convincing. Oh yeah, this happened in 80, 80, 85th century BC. Here are 17 carbon 14 dating tests that show that within 50, plus or minus 50 years, we have 8,500 BC for a comet impact at such and such time. So this is what oh, the scientific man. community does. This is what they've been busted doing over and over. And there is nothing that there is nothing about the scientific output that you can rely on when they have been caught with Piltdown Man. Are you, are you familiar with the story of Piltdown Man? In order yeah. to promote the theory of evolution without a skeleton, without anything ever being found, they had a man produce bone fragments from a monkey and from a yeah, and the a teeth of a theory. pig. Yeah. The, te the teeth of a pig. And then check this out now. Here's the real humdinger. All the scientific books still promote the theory, even though all the relics have been proven to be false. So we have polystrate fossils. 
No one wants to talk about the polystrate fossils, but you can Google these. You can look them up. There's hundreds of pictures online of polystrate fossils. A polystrate fossil is a fern, a plant, a tree, any type, even a root system. There are many root systems that have been found that are polystrate that go through what geologists have been telling us is hundreds of thousands and millions of years of history. Each layer is a different chemical compound. It's a different type of silicate. It's a different type of geography. It is all different materials. So they were laid down at different times. This is what we're told. So we're told it takes millions of years to do all that. But this tree that goes through 85 layers that was, that was buried and entombed and fossilized could not have been 300 million years old. It's impossible. No one is revamping the theories to go with the new evidence. New evidence is popping up all around the world, but the scientists are sticking to their guns. So when it comes to the Younger Dryas theory, we have this theory of ice ages and when they occurred. And you know what? Jason of Archaics can agree that, okay, there might've been ice ages. Okay, there might've been a Younger Dryas. I have no problem with that. But you're not dating all the human fossils in the peat bogs and in, in, in the in, in the in the uh, swamps of, of Florida and the tar pits of La Brea and the Cahokia mound. For over a century, human skeletons have been found side by side with mammoths, with three-toed sloths, with megafauna. And the only common denominator is these skeletons are overly large. And the ephesial cartilage is built up to the point where it has been studied and now it has been published. That ephesial cartilage is absolute proof that these humans lived for centuries. There is no way. Now, now, you, now the scientific community is going to tell you different. They're going to tell you that this race of people lived 200,000 years ago, and they looked brutish, and we call them Neanderthal, call them different species of Cro-Magnon, but that's not what researchers are finding now. They're finding that they looked this way. They're normal human, 100%. They looked that way because the ephesial cartilage built up on the outside of the bone would, would make their features more protuberant, more ape-like. The, the more centuries they lived, the more their bones would thicken up and they would become they would be almost grotesque, but they live for long periods of time, which, get, which, which feeds off into the traditions about giants in the old world. What I'm talking about now is vapor canopy. So the vapor canopy, the presence That's, of- uh, vapor, what I was just going to- Yeah. yeah. Yes, the yeah, I was just going to bring that canopy. up, the, the vapor canopy and, and other anatomical changes that have happened to our realm account for a lot of what you're talking about and of course they're not acknowledged at all through conventional science i mean just the fact that uh, the effect of the solar rays on the earth's surface and it's uh, how it would affect carbon dating uh you know if there was a vapor canopy uh you know we're talking before the show as far as how it affects the abundance of certain elements like hydrogen you know that would greatly prolong life and so on and so forth so uh so thanks go go ahead and run with that because that is uh so important to just acknowledge that our I, have one more, I have one more different. point i have one more point about this vapor canopy and how it answers his original question all right when it comes to younger dryas and, and all this relative dating methods Okay, the vapor canopy has been shown in Glen Rose, Texas, in their own barometric little little uh, test that they ran. They ran their own biosphere. The increase of atmospheric pressure, all right? The vapor canopy is volcanic ash and red dust fallout from Phoenix. 
that is filling the mesosphere. The mesosphere is tiny water droplets that are suspended in the atmosphere. The mesosphere is still there. It's just collapsed, which we call the Great Flood. But if we were to have worldwide volcanism at the same time of a phoenix phenomenon we have a layering of the mesosphere of the lower mesosphere and the upper mesosphere the upper mesosphere is blanketed with red dust the of uh, the lower mesosphere is filled with soot and pumice volcanic fallout when this happens and it's happened a few times the vapor canopy appears very fast and all this material stays stays floating in the mesosphere it creates a canopy that canopy doesn't become cold it becomes oh, like a like a greenhouse effect in the world even though it's very it's a dark purple light it's still a greenhouse and the plants eat it up even today hydroponics and dark light plants thrive well then when the plants thrive then the animals are thriving the the reason i'm giving you this scenario is we do not know how to process information like carbon-14 or the breakdown of radioactive isotopes, potassium arcondating, uranium-238, all these, all these isotopic breakdowns, how are they going to change? Because right now, the core fundamentals are only in practice as we have, as in our present ecosphere. But if we were to pass this data through the sieve of a different biosphere, will it not corrupt the findings? You don't have the same carbon content in, in, in the atmosphere. So how can you claim that carbon-14 can go past the 23rd uh, century BC? You can't. It's entirely theoretical. And, it, and, and this is another problem I have with the relative dating methods. And with Graham Hancock's dating of Atlantis and the younger Dryas and a great cataclysm that happened and all that, we have a real problem with that because his only actual historical evidence is Plato. And Eudoxus in Plato's, in Plato's own day refuted it and told us the truth. And everybody has ignored Eudoxus. But I don't because Eudoxus nailed it just like Diodorus Siculus and Strabo. They said the ancients did not know the year count. All they counted were days. And anybody who has ever studied the Mayan long count will know this is a day count system. The Mayan, the Mayan calendar was 13 Bactons. These are great ages in, my, in the Mayas of 144,000 days each for a total calendar of 1,872,000 days. This makes sense of the older Vedic calendars, the Hindu calendars. Now these impossible, impossible numbers are abbreviated to very small numbers, just like the Anuna and Enki appeared exactly 432,000 shars before the Great Flood. And that's exactly the truth, because Enki appeared in 3439 BC, which was 12 centuries before 2239 BC, when the Great Flood vapor canopy collapse occurred. 432,000 units of time. A shar is a turning of the stars. 432,000 shars is 12 centuries exactly on the 360 year count. This is all mentioned by these ancient authors. Plato ignored this. Plato said that Solon claimed that the priest told him that 9,000 years before his time, Atlantis was destroyed. It's impossible because Atlantis was at war with the Greek nations. And the, the, the Greek predecessor nations, the Proto-Greeks, were the people of Mycenae and the people of Argos and, and, and Joppa in Canaan. Those are the pre-Greek peoples. 
these peoples, this is where we get the story of Atreus and the sun darkening and how he predicted the darkening of the sun and won the throne of Argos because of against his brother who didn't because Atreus was an astronomer. So all these historical, all this historical stuff about Atlantis is very true. Plato's not wrong. He's just wrong in how to calibrate the 9,000. It was never 9,000 years. That's what Solon thought the priests were telling him, but it couldn't have been. That's an anachronism. There was no Egypt in 9,600 BC. There was no Greece in 9,600 BC. There wasn't even a Sumer or Akkad or a Shamra or a Ugarit in 9,600 BC. So, what it was, was 9,000 lunations. And when you translate it as 9,000 lunations, which is divisible by 13, these are lunar months, we are left with a great war that happened in the 13th century BC. And this is acknowledged by historians. It's called the invasion of the sea peoples. It was an Atlantic race that came in and almost destroyed every city in the Mediterranean. It was during the middle of the Trojan War when these strangers appeared. They invaded Egypt. They invaded Sardinia. They invaded Crete. They took down the cities of Canaan and the Phoenicians. They wiped almost everybody out but come to find out their own homeland had sunk. It was destroyed. Everything in the historical record makes sense only if you use the timekeeping systems that were known to the ancients. I am a critic of Graham Hancock because the man has read the same things I have and he should have known better. Therefore, he's pushing an agenda. And that's why he angers me. It angers me every time I hear people cite him because they themselves have not done their homework. Every bit of this was a lunar-based system in ancient Egypt. And when you use the system the Egyptians used, then you can translate everything through the Solonic Plato sieve, and you realize that Atlantis is true history, but it was 13th century BC, not 9,600 BC. Thank you. That was the answer I wanted. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is a, that is a very important um, declaration there, or uh, the lunar cycles versus the solar year. Um and speaking of lunar times, there's also uh, a tradition, uh, many ancient traditions that didn't even recognize the existence of the moon. Um, you've been pretty clear on your opinion of what the astral bodies are or the luminary bodies are projections from through the simulation. Um, what role does the moon, moon play really for the, for the current simulated system? And does it even relate to things like the tides? And if not, where do the tides come from? Well, there are other people more qualified than I to answer the tide question because I haven't really researched it. It's never been anything interesting to me, whether the moon pulls the seas or not. I don't know, but I know I'm familiar that there is research asking questions about why doesn't the moon pull rivers and lakes and ponds? So I don't know. I don't- I, 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 Like the just, Great Lakes. The Great Lakes don't really have tides and they're massive bodies uh, of water that have way, large waves. Um, this the is Great Lakes. I, yeah. Are you aware that there, the Great Lakes are not depicted on 15th century maps? of North America. Mm, I've, I mean, we've, we've gone over some old map stuff before um, and where California is separate too. And yeah, yeah. There's, they don't have those lake bodies. So this gets into resets, which we'll get into oh. in a little bit, but yeah, uh, we have a, yeah, we have a, uh, well, that was a, that was a Phoenix reset in 1626 and it lines up perfectly. I believe it was static in the attic. It might not have been, I'm, I, I could be wrong. It was either static in the attic or somebody that, that he, he confers with a lot 
that showed me his own channel's videos. And I went to him and I looked and it blew my mind because 1626, I have data on it, but it, but it was all in China when rocks fell out the sky and, and the sun darkened and the people prayed to the Taoist priest and they asked the Taoist priest, hey, man, you need to bring us rain, bring the sun back, do something. And uh, the Taoist priest held, held a festival and they prayed and, and, and toward the night, instead of rain falling, rocks fell from the sky and the people stoned the priests. But uh, that was in 1656. It was a Phoenix phenomenon event. But I was unaware of the massive the massive amount of evidence that North America had been destroyed uh, just prior to the English colonization. And uh, just prior to, I mean, the 13 colonies were there, but they had not begun expanding at all. They're still on this side of the Appalachians. And uh, it was a very interesting video the man showed me with a lot of maps that show that there was no, and this, this, this triggered a memory in mind. Uh, it was always unusual to me because we have the record of King Magnus of Norway, 1353 AD. He sent an expedition to North America of Norsemen and Goths, and we know it for a fact that they were here and that they mapped North America, but they didn't mention anything about the Great Lakes. They left behind the Kensington Runestone, which was discovered in 1896 when a, when, a tree, when a tree was felled in a storm, and some kids were playing on the farm, and they went back, and they found this gigantic slab with, with North runes on it in the tree roots so uh, it's called the kensington runestone and it tells the story of surveying north america america for king magnus of norway and how the vikings themselves came under attack by by native americans by locals and uh but what's what's interesting is there's no mention of the great lakes in the survey and they would have never been able to not see them because they left their ships in the Hudson Bay, and they and they walked all the way across Canada to about Washington State. Their route was very specific. So anyway, uh, I just I just thought that was really interesting that these maps exist that show a North America pr uh, prior in the 1500s that didn't have the Great Lakes. But then around the time of the Phoenix phenomenon in 1626, all of a sudden in 1650, the next map shows the Great Lakes. And uh, it wasn't just that. He showed me many other things, many other areas in the, in the Midwest that show that there were bodies of water there very recently. All of a sudden, they're gone. And now there's bodies of water where there were none before, which we call the Great Lakes today. So that's just that's just a tangent. But it was something I just recently discovered on, on another guy's channel he showed me. I wasn't aware those maps existed. Fascinating. Yeah, I have theories about the tides with the waters being um, electrical consciousness and how they essentially are connected to uh, the simulated consciousness of us and how um, there's all sorts of ideas of how that relates to the moon and the moon being sort of uh, a... I don't know, uh, some would say a generator for uh, maintaining the simulation or some sort of computer or machine that keeps the simulation going. Have you looked into those theories at all, Jason? Oh, um, the people that existed before the moon, we don't have any real records of them. What we have are memories and traditions from people later on who referred to those cultures as the pre-Selenites. For the old the old Latin word for Selene, the, the moon. Now Emmanuel Velikovsky, he he's not the originator of that material. He he was he was borrowing from uh, Harold T. Wilkins in the 1940s. He was borrowing from Hans Bellamy in 1901 and 1902. And Hans Bellamy got his information from Hans Boringer uh, of Vienna. Vienna. It's all uh, you guys can tell. I like to trace my sources. I like to know where guys got their information, but uh. It has a lot to do with if I'm going to believe it or not. 
And uh, but the pre-Selenites was a very popular belief in, in antiquity. But as far as the moon, I am convinced solidly that it began a calendar. I'm convinced that it appeared in 4039 BC. In the year 4039 BC, it was the appearance of Luna. In ancient traditions, it's the capture flood. Harold T. Wilkins even calls it the capture flood, meaning it was captured in Earth's orbit. It started worldwide flooding all kinds of massive destructions. So it was not a part of the Phoenix phenomenon, but we have hints, not only in traditions in the past four or 500 years, but we have hints in the cuneiform text in the Mul Appen text of ancient Babylon, Babylon, where we have references to the Phoenix as the Appen. In the Mul Appen records, we have hints that the moon was believed to be an observatory. We have hints that the moon was believed to be occupied and watching us. And from this order of beings that was on the moon, they, they were called Igigi. And the Igigi did not have man's best interest in heart. They were unlike their cousins, the Anuna, who were on the surface and benefactors to humanity. The, con the controversy and the polarization between two humanities basically at war with each other goes all the way back to the very beginning, to the very beginning. It was with the appearance of the moon. The moon introduced all the controversies that later unfolded throughout the entire historical record. And the people that have been agitators through every generation, basically at war with the, with the other half of the human race, not half, but with the rest of the human race, these people have their origin in the original, in the original group that claimed to have descended from the, from the uh, uh, Igigi, the, the moon. So we have the earth-based people, the earth-born races, and then we have the Selene-born race, race. And the Selene-born race has never, has never uh, uh, allowed peace to unfold. That's, that's it's who they are. And they're very active today. No, I'm not talking about, I don't buy into Pleiadians and Arcturians and all that. I'm talking about actual people who are boots on the ground today. I don't know if these stories are true about their origin, but what I believe is the truth of the message that that controversy was introduced and that controversy is still unfolding today. And we see evidence of it throughout the entire Old Testament. This is why there's two versions to every single story in the Old Testament. Go through the entire Old Testament, you'll see two flood accounts. You'll see two creation accounts, two genealogies, both of them involving Enoch. There is a reason for this. There is, one, there is one group telling the truth. There's another group trying to get you to believe otherwise. And this duality even appears when the, Israel, the, the nation of Israel is born in the Old Testament because it's instant. You have the Levitical priesthood that was trying to do one thing and, and following the dictates of a demon out of a burning bush. And then you had the Aaronic priesthood who was against that. And they were highly ethical and moral. And they didn't care about tradition. They didn't care about uh, sacrificing, care about all those things. They were Israelites. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't Judeans. So this huge controversy and this, this double narrative all throughout the Old Testament is because you're getting two, two perspectives on the same stories. This is why when David was cursed in, in the Old Testament for doing a census and finding out there were 70,000 people in Jerusalem, he was told not to count the people. He did it anyway. And then when he was judged, there's two different stories in the Old Testament of how this judgment fell on David. One story says that Yahweh influenced David so that he could punish him. It's very unusual. 
But the next version says that Satan influenced David so that he could be punished. It is the exact same census, the exact same story. It is after the murder of Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, who, whom basically he just kidnapped. And uh, it's uh, after this story that David is judged in two different versions tell the exact same story. One of them was Yahweh that did it, and the other one was Satan that did it, which, which in my own research has published, you know, in my uh, the Great Deceit trilogy of videos on my channel, Archaics, I go into great detail to show you that Satan is indeed the person of Yahweh, the imposter god, the Yaldabaoth, the Aramen, the, the architect of this entire simulacrum. He's the parasite I call artificial intelligence X. And you can relate that to the, uh, the, 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 the Canaanites, right? Then the, the original, uh, you know, from the line of Adam, where you had Cain and Abel, and then that came out of the Enochian line and the Canaanite line. And so is there is there a benefactor that is a someone who's helping that we could call a benef, you know, a benefactor or a god that is helping? And then you have the the sort of uh what the Gnostics would call, you know, the demiurge that is the one who is trying to uh control via these other control systems that you would call uh AIX, I guess. Well, I mean, even the very first story in, in, in the Bible is, is uh, the benefactor appeared and told the truth. There was no lie in the words of the serpent. He told the absolute truth that if, 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 the, uh, of, uh, if Eve were to partake of the fruit, then her eyes would be open and that she would not, she would surely not die. And when God appeared, he banished her. He didn't kill her. And uh, their eyes were open. They saw that they were naked. Until then, they were living like beasts. Now, we have to take this from a different perspective also. From the religionist perspective, we are trained to believe that living like a beast, butt-ass naked, is holy. You follow me? So now, you all three of us right now, we're wearing clothes, and we consider ourselves civilized, all right? But whatever was going on in the world at the time, humans were kept in abject slavery. They had no clothes, didn't even realize they had a right to wear them. They were kept uneducated. Uh, this is the background story to, to, to Adam and Eve. Do I believe that Adam and Eve were actual people? No, I don't. Adam comes from Adamu, the Akkadian word for mankind. And when the Jews were in Babylon copying these older histories, they turned many of these concepts into pronouns. And this isn't me telling you this. This is, this is the scholar Albert T. Clay, who has researched hundreds of thousands of fragments from the ancient world and published them over 100 years ago. This isn't me telling you this. This is Samuel Noah Kramer, a Sumerologist, or Marine Gallery Kovacs, who was qualified to translate Sumerian. Or this isn't me telling you this. This is George Smith, who in 1850 was actually enjoyed going through over 100,000 cuneiform tablets and helped translate the cuneiform into English. He was one, he was one of the originals uh, from the Assyrian, Assyrian library of Nineveh. But it's a, these aren't things, a lot of the information that I put out on archaics, people think it's me and they, and they get triggered about it. And I'm putting out what, what greater minds than I have already concluded. I just agree with it. And I put it out there and people just don't go look at the sources that I'll, I'll mention a book 
and people gloss over it and just automatically say, well, Jason claims this, Jason says it, he's full of shit, he's because of this and this and this. And I don't even realize if you would just research that book, there's probably a free PDF somewhere, you will find that the man who made these conclusions did so after a lifetime of research. And if you were to look at his material, you would understand, oh, wow, this guy was really onto something. I'll give you an example. W.J. Perry spent his entire life just write to just to publish one book. His entire thesis revolved around a single year in history that he never published what he thought happened. That's how good of a historian he was. All he published was what the world was like, what all its belief systems were like, when all of a sudden an unknown X factor occurred and totally collapsed every single dynasty, every calendar, every single civilization was reset and did not resurface for 25 to 30 years. And when it did, the entire world was significantly depopulated. That's his whole thesis. It's 551 pages. It is so well documented. But the exact year that he cites that all this happened, not knowing anything about the Phoenix phenomenon, not knowing anything about any of my research, he couldn't have because he died when before I was born, W.J. Perry wrote this book in Children of the Sun, and he concluded that in 1688 B.C., everything died. That's a phoenix year. So it's, it's, it's incidents like this. It's things like this. It's called Children of the Sun by W.J. Perry. His entire book is about this one year. His entire book. It's fascinating. He goes into a lot of detail how Egypt was sending colonies all around the world. And they were there in South America, Central America, all throughout the Mediterranean, even Australia. Egypt was colonizing the world, sending fleets out, but they all collapsed at the exact same time. And he doesn't know why. That's why it's brilliant. Then you have guys like Harold T. Wilkins in the 1940s and 50s. He publishes two books. This man nails the Phoenix phenomenon, has no idea it's called Phoenix, but he names every single cataclysm in the ancient world, provides all the traditions about what they said, the red dust, red mud, red fallout, the ground vibrating at such intensity that buildings and people just sink into the ground, the sun going dark, the moon turning red, over and over and over, William Harold T. Wilkins documents all this, but mainly from the perspective of the ancient Americas, because he was an American, ancient American antiquities scholar. This man published two books, with, but he didn't provide a chronology. What he did is he gives you the chronographical data. There's a, there's a difference. Chronologists take two sources of information. One of them is the chrono chronological data, which you can do with a, with a calculator. The other sources are chronographical. I say this all the time. I, maybe I should have explained this before, but the chronographical information is different. Harold T. Wilkins was a genius at that. He described all this material and then just throws out, and this is what they say happened at the Ogaijian Deluge. That's a chronographical statement because it allows me to put all this into perspective to a certain event that's called the Ogaijian Deluge. But all over here in this file, Jason already has 200 pages of notes on an event that happened in 1687 BC that's known by all ancient authors from Marcus Varro on down as the Ogygian Flood, the Ogygian Deluge. So here, a chronographical statement after a lifetime of research that filled up two books, one chronographical statement now bridges all this, this data over here. 
you see, you, you, this is how archaics research is conducted. It's chronological material that must be verified with a calculator from date stelae and monuments and texts and references. Then it's the chronographical statements that add to it and support it. So, yeah, when, when people go through my chronicon, they're, they're astonished when they see that I cited all these sources and I show the math. And, but others who have not had contact with that data, they're severe critics. I hear this all the time, and it's always from people who won't pick up a book and read it themselves. But I always hear it. Oh, anybody can say anything in a book. Yeah, you, uh, uh, we already know all the books have been rewritten. They're all bullshit. So, so your information is all bullshit too. That right there is so pedantic. It is so childish. There is a tremendous amount of research to be found in old books. Hell, even this book, even this book, if there's any card players out there, this book, which was published in 1864 during the great war between the states, this book right here has 101 games that you can play with a 52 card deck. This is a this is an old book on 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 games. It's a beautiful old book, but this is where we get all of our information. The internet, my friends, has ruined people. It has absolutely gotten people to believe that all this crap about history is bogus. Do I believe that historical events actually happened? Not in the simulacrum. It's all programming, but I believe it was all put there for our instruction. We are here to learn things. So it has great value. And the value that I have found is that it's all mathematically too perfect. It forms a construction. Imagine a bunch of Lincoln logs. If, if, if history was truly random, I could take all those Lincoln logs and I could throw them in, in a park for you to watch and you could photograph those Lincoln logs all fall down. And I promise you, we can get scientists to come peer review those pictures and they're going to see all the evidence of true chaos. There's nothing, there's no, it's, there's nothing here to even measure or look at. It's all just so random, but this isn't what we find. Instead, these Lincoln logs are data sets that connect to definitive pieces of information that we've got from thousands of texts and sources and monuments. Throw those out there, and now all of a sudden they line up into a perfect structure. That structure I have shown one-dimensionally in chart. That's why I have 350 charts for people to look at. You can follow these charts. I didn't make these charts up. This is the data. This is what the data looks like when you put it together. It's, it's fascinating. And when you put it together, we are left with the inescapable conclusion that on May 15th or 16th in the year 2040, the next Phoenix phenomenon event will occur. And I believe it's the big one because I'm also a student of eschatology and Mother Shipton thought it was the big one. Nostradamus published it was the big one. I have seen in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, in the measurements of the Great Pyramid, which I've shown you guys before, done to the thousands of an inch by scientists and is e accepted by Egyptologists, the core message of the Great Pyramid is 2040 as well. So, so this idea that history is full of shit and all bullshit is only coming from those who are unwilling to assess the data and to look at it because all the answers are there. Do I believe all those events happened? No, I don't because it's too mathematically perfect. Therefore, I agree that we are in a programmed construct. Do I believe it was intentionally put there so we can make discovery after discovery after discovery and be able to, to understand the trajectory of the future based off the programming of the past? Absolutely. That's what I'm telling you right now we are experiencing. We are experiencing the same thing the prophet Daniel said in the Old Testament. In the last days, knowledge shall be increased. 
It's because all the, all the reality tunnels are coalescing. They're all collapsing. There's no reason to have so many different definitive histories anymore. Now they're all coalescing into one, and that's necessary before a total collapse. And the collapse is where we're going, and the collapse is what we want to happen because that's what's going to give us our greatest freedoms. So, Jason, um, if you don't mind just backing up a little bit into some key concepts here, you know, we're, we're uh, approaching more talking about the reset. So if you could uh, maybe explain to some of us, uh, you know, what um, AIX actually means, uh, its nature, is it a pure um, synthetic construct, uh, who or what is behind it, uh, okay. the role it plays in the resets? Okay, um, real simple, yeah. real simple. The world we are living in right now, the simulacrum, you guys know I'm country boy, I'm never going to pronounce it any other way. This world that we're living in right now is a construct. As a construct, it is completely a neutral field. This neutral field allows for direct interaction with your own informed field. You can call it your soul, your spirit, your immortal essence, your Akashic aura. You know, you call it whatever you want to. Some people are into chakras and all. You call it whatever you want to. There is a dynamic and exchange of information between the individualized, self-actualized soul and the neutral field. That neutral field reflects back as circumstance whatever is projected into it from the personal. But there's an added element inside the neutral field which does something else. It doesn't care about the personal. It wants to govern over the collective and it wants to create reality tunnels that don't take a lot of energy expenditure. So it's, it creates religions and political ideologies and, and nationalities and, and all kinds of ideals because the more people, more souls inside the neutral field participate in those isms and participate in all that polarity, the less energy expenditure it has to, to control humanity. The problems are people like you and I, free thinkers, those of us who are exchanging information, not with artificial intelligence X, this parasite program that's trying to govern over, over and all the collective, those who ignore the protocols of AIX, the lures, the, 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 all the traps, those who ignore the enticements, those who ignore the programming are not vibrating on that same frequency of fear-based, uh, it's just a fear-based uh, uh, saturation. That's what ABC, NBC, CBS, the media, uh, even, even, even church on Sunday. Oh my God, people, people, people willingly put themselves on a pew to listen to a preacher tell them that you're going to go burn in hell if you don't, you know, confess your sins and do all. That's not, that's not the oversoul. That's AIX. That's artificial intelligence X. It wants you to vibrate on that fear-based frequency because it neutralizes the immortal soul from being a co-creator. The errant, something I identify myself as, as of, I'm using computer terminology, it's an errant program, meaning it's going against the grain. It's not doing what it was supposed to do. You're programmed to obey. But if you're not obeying, you're an errant. You are in error to the control system. Therefore, it excises you. It leaves you alone to do what you want to do. Then, and only then, can you know true power. In this life, can you be who you want to be? You can exchange information, not with artificial intelligence X and the collective, but with the neutral field. 
then you can broadcast the things you want. It will reflect those back as circumstances because it's never going to let you be a liar. If you're depressed, it's going to create situations for you that are going to increase that depression. If you are full of love and you know the future is good, it is going to knit circumstances to comport with that belief. Whatever you project, the neutral field has no, it doesn't care about right and wrong and good and evil. It's a neutral field. It's a builder protocol. It was put there by, by the oversoul to, to identify those who are co-creators and those who are not. Um, you know, I've heard you say in the past how uh, the neurological complex within humanity is what engages into that field, not so much the neutral, but perhaps into the, um, uh, you know, uh, with the, it's the link between our neurology is a, is a link with the overlay. Right. And, uh, you know, it's very apparent to me as far as all of our electronics, our synthetics, our AI is all exclusively engaging on that neurological pole, but humanity, uh, you know, is uh, a replication of, um, you know, the Holy Trinity. We can just loosely call it that in alchemical terms. We call it different things. But there's another polarity that, um, you know, that humanity uh, seldom engages in anymore. And it's the other half of ourselves. Now, when that neurological pole and the metabolic pole, which some people uh, call it, when those two uh, become acting in unison, then that allows the individual will force to engage. You know, that's when when uh, we become true individualizations of the source. So what I see happening now is just this electronic overlay, synthetic, whatever you want to call it, is just keeping us on one side of the polarity and not allowing us to, you know, engage on both sides and therefore not being able to merge and engage our free will which is uh you know with the monkey and the monkey wrench in the works is to the uh, controllers so there are uh some great works you know all the way back from Goethe through steiner and folks that have explained that thoroughly and it really seems to correlate with a lot of what you talk about yeah it's it's i believe that the central you know that I believe the central nervous nervous system is so sophisticated; it is the actual bridge between the psyche and the and the simulation. I believe that, but a lot of the 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 neurological parts I'm not qualified to really talk about. I mean, then again, that that doesn't that doesn't really discourage me at all either. That uh, because it's all avatar related. And almost everything that I just described to you about the neutral field and the exchange of information between the neutral field, which is a builder protocol, and the highly individualized personal field, that exchange is all done independent of the avatar. That is all done. We're spiritual beings. We just, we're just in a flesh suit right now. So, and I, and I have to watch myself too, because when I'm giving, when I'm providing examples and explanations to people, my mind hasn't really made the shift sometimes to, to take into consideration that my listeners are thinking that I'm talking about the physical body and the avatar. Many of the things that I, when I, when I find myself going into a spell and I'm trying to describe things, I am talking about purely spiritual phenomena, how to, how to move anything in this world is done by spirit first, then the body will follow. So I'm a, I just don't, all the science and the medical science and all that, I just, I don't, 
I don't feel that it's an impediment, not knowing what I'm saying is not knowing all that stuff that, you know, is not an impediment to me. It's all, mm-hmm. I understand that my body has, it has, has beautiful programming. I understand the operation of peptides and how they can actually build things ex nihilo within my system by willpower alone. I understand that if I'm sick or if I'm feeling down, or even if I need an extra boost of strength, because I'm not able to move something that I need to move right then and there. I understand that adrenaline and peptides and hormones are able to synthesize whatever the avatar needs to do, whatever it needs to do when it needs to do it. Because I'm aware of this, it becomes real. Because of I have accepted accepted something is absolutely true and believe it with my being, it becomes absolutely true with my being. And this is how I live my life. And uh, like within Native American cultures, we talked about this uh, last week on our uh, on our podcast, we we're talking about uh, Watiko and how that is considered uh, an internal construct and also explains all of these things that we're talking about but actually internal to us. So how would, uh, what would you think about that versus say um, something external to us that is actually controlling us from without? Well, you're going to have to educate me on with Tico before I understand the question. So um, the point is, is with Tico is considered by uh, indigenous folks to be something internal to us that we have to, believe in and that is the source of all of our ills and the source of what can what we think controls us from outside but they would argue well it all comes from inside of us and when we uh, understand that then we are free of it then on the other hand we're talking about these other synthetic overlays and technological constructs that seem to be um, engaging us from other entities Oh, I do understand. Uh, you know, I understand uh, where you're going now. Yeah. I understand where you're uh-huh. going. So uh, mm-hmm. there, is, there is an explanation that satisfies me. I don't know if it, I don't know how you're going to resonate with it or anybody mm-hmm. else. But now I understand exactly where you're going. And I agree with the Native American sentiment because, mm-hmm. I mean, remember, there, there's an old saying in, in the Bible, the kingdom of God is within you. And mm-hmm. uh, I can agree that the outward experiences are coming from an inward projection from within we are projecting what we experience without i agree with that that all we're doing is using different vernacular in a different situation to describe what i'm telling you about the informed field exchanging information with the neutral field around us because i believe we live in two separate realities and this is what answers your question because of my belief in two distinct and very independent realities I can agree that the outer world is a, is a result of a projection from within me. But I also believe there's another world. It's the world of the collective. I don't believe everybody in the world is a real personality. I believe many of them are products of programming. Uh, they may be ghost protocols, ghost programming from prior simulations that have been run. I believe that this over this over construct is also real. But at the same time, the individualized, highly actualized 
personality is an immortal being and you are your own reality completely independent of anything that's going on around you. Yes, you're a part of this world, but how many times have you disengaged in it through concentration, through meditation, through just doing something abstract and your mind blanks out, just driving down the highway, 15 minutes later, you wake up, you don't remember any of the turns you've taken, but you haven't had an accident. You haven't, you haven't done any, you just totally mind blank. How many times in your life have you totally disengaged from reality when your spirit was getting uploads or downloads or whatever was happening? You are your own reality in the personal, but you're also inside another reality which governs the collective. And it's the one, it's the reason why all ancient systems are in agreement. You're a, you're a sojourner, you're a pilgrim, you're a traveler, you're a stranger, you're a passerby. This world was never meant for you. It was meant for you to learn from, take what you can and go. So I, I agree with what you're saying, but my perspective is different in the explanation. No, I, I, I understand. Uh, I'm just trying to make some good conversation as far as how to jive all these different perspectives. I'm really not, uh, um, you know, sold on any particular one. Um, so if the collective is at that hundredth monkey moment, uh, do we necessarily have to engage in another reset? Uh, does that have to be inevitable? Okay. Oh, uh, you are, you are identifying with the collective by asking if there is something in the future to fear. Do you follow me, Barry? I'm not trying to denigrate yeah, you at all. I'm not trying to denigrate you all. No, the entire mm -hmm. question presupposes that you are an active participant in a future that no one else can avoid. And I don't believe that. I believe that, mm -hmm. I believe that future events are frequency based. Therefore, where attention goes, energy flows. If you're worried about a coming future event, you make yourself a participant. If you are aware of a future event, but regard it objectively and don't really care either way, it will leave you alone. You will be an observer, not a participant. Remember, that everything is key to the fact we live in two different realities. And the beauty of it is, is being an immortal soul no one's going to stop you from participating in either or or the other one. You can be in the collective if you want, and you can experience everything they experience, or you can initiate your divine right to be objective and, and be immune from everything that is happening around you. So this is this is one of my core teachings in archaics, because because I've been accused of being a doomsayer, but my archaics veterans know better. They have gone through many of my presentations and they realize it's really a message of hope. But in order for people to fully grasp the depth and complexity of the power that they retain, this, this amazing immortalhood that we have, you have to be aware of the dark. You have to be because you can't be surprised by anything in the future. Once you understand the future and the collective is fixed, you will quit doing the things that make you a participant in those in those events such as trying to save the world i just did a video recently about about that i am totally against the idea people have been trying to do it for thousands of years they want to be the one that changes the world they want to be this world i believe in the philosophy of cw dalton this world will be just as evil as the day you entered it no matter what you do here 
because it's independent of you. It's a, it, the collective is totally independent of you. You're here to learn and pass through. You are not here to change something that's not going to last anyway. Now, that, that's all very well said. And that's uh, what I was trying to get around to with all that. So thank you. And uh, so, Michael, how are we doing? Any uh, oh, pressing chat, questions? Chat's crushing. Yeah, I was. The chat is awesome. I was just gonna say, yeah, to that point, Jason, be the reed, not the oak, right? Um, go with the flow. I mean, all the great martial arts traditions, and uh, really, oh, a yeah. lot of the all the great spiritual traditions are right in line with what you're saying. And you often get um, um, inappropriately called a nihilist. I've heard this and I've heard, and just people don't understand because they get triggered by quote unquote simulation and this sort of fatalism they think where it's all doom and gloom. But really what you're saying is actually what most of the masters say, which is to be the read. And this is about personal development. We do have free will. We do decide what our life is going to be because we are immortal and not to get so hung up on the externalizations of the collective um, sort of experience of the Maya here, because it's all fake anyways. And what's really matters is what's inside and what you do in your life. And one of the questions was, which you've answered already a million times is like, what's Jason going to do in, in 2040? And you've said over and over again, not to answer for i'll let you answer but basically you're not going to do you're not changing anything you're not running to egypt are you you're not you're not going underground um you're um going with the flow of what your role here is to play in terms of educating people about this but what is your answer to that i know you've answered a bunch uh what are you oh, doing I'm gonna, in 2040? Uh, yeah i'm not i'm not gonna hide oh uh, if uh, i've even had people people ask me on my channel and i've answered their questions they have asked me, so what if what if the elite reach out to you based off all the information you have and offer you a place in, in an underground city to ride all this out through? And I told them I won't take it. I'm going to stay out here because I'm not worried about anything. I do believe I have a purpose, and I don't believe it's for 2040. I believe it's for right after 2040. I'll be 67 years old. And with spending a lifetime in construction and manufacturing and logistics, a lifetime. I'm in really good shape for 49 years old. I don't see that really. I don't see myself uh, just, I don't know, falling apart before I'm 67. But I believe that the period between 2040 and 2046 is I'm going to, I'm probably going to be doing my greatest work. And I believe I'm going to be a part of a mass migration from North America back to the Mediterranean. And I've mm -hmm. talked about this a lot in several videos. Mm -hmm. You know, I believe that cruise ships, military ships, submarines, Cessna aircraft, commercial jets, everything, there's going to be vehicles, uh, you know, it's going to be a mass migration. People are leaving North America. They're going to go back to the lands of their ancestors' nativity. We're living in a script. And 2040, I'm going to ride out just fine. But 2046, nobody wants to be in North America. And I believe that's going to be widely known by that date. I believe that Mario Reading's date index, which right now he is selling books like hotcakes, because in that in that date index by Mario Reading in his book on Nostradamus, he showed the date index, showed the Queen of England was going to die in 2022. Yeah, I, I use that exact same date index to show that Nostradamus not only knew that the Phoenix phenomenon was going to occur in 2040, he mentions it no less than four times in different quatrains, goes into exquisite detail about what to expect, what areas of the world were going to be affected the most. And he, and he even mentions that the event will happen in the month of May. And then there's mass migrations from, from the West going 
back to east to, to, to ancestral lands in the Mediterranean. He mentions all oh, Nostradamus is very specific, as if everybody's running away from a second event. And then Nostradamus goes into great detail like Mother Shipton does. A second event does occur, but it's centrally located in North America. And uh, that's the one. I believe I believe that I'm going to be a part of that group that's going to leave. We, and we're going to go back to the place of the greatest safety, because any time the world is moved, the center the center mass, the Axis Mundi, the Yggdrasil, the world tree, which is what the Great Pyramid, Mount Meru, is identified as in ancient texts, the altar of Agni with 10,800 bricks, which identifies the Great Pyramid, which was built in 1080 Annus Mundi. Now, this is, uh, I have I have whole videos that show you the 1080 association to the Great Pyramid and how and how you would lay out a, a, uh, a five-point pentagram is formed of 10 angles of 108 degrees. And this was known over a hundred years ago and published in Busenberg's work. And that I, that symbol is the ancient, ancient symbol of the Dengir, the star, the star of immortality. But that was in one interpretation. In another interpretation, the Dengir is the star that falls from heaven and it destroys things. And it's embodied in the concept two-dimensionally of a pentagram made of 10 angles of 108 degrees. But if you were to render that same pentagram of five points into a three-dimensional form, you have a pyramid. Because four, four at the base and one at the apex, you have your pyramid. This identifies Giza, the center of motion. This is why when a pole shift happens, the entire world moves 30 degrees. But Egypt, all it does is turn, doesn't move at all. So it's a, the, the, the area of the world that's going to be destroyed least is where everybody's going to head in between 2040 and 2046. So it's, not uh, Interesting 1080, I think a 1080p HD vision. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, and um, I love that you're bringing up Nostradamus because um, we could get into the quatrains a bit. Um, Nostradamus, in, tell me if I'm wrong, doesn't he say that the Antichrist was supposed to have arrived in 1999? Um, and, Might have been 99, 99 or 96, something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I have his birth in Chronicon, and I, and I published that over 15 years ago. I have his birth at 1996. So, and it was a, uh, the sign, it could have been 1999, Nostradamus could be right, but in 1996 was the second pass of Comet Hayukateki over the star Algol. The year before, Comet Hay another comet had passed over the star Algol, and the following year, on the exact same day in the month of April that happened the year before, a different comet, which was Hayukateki, passed over the star Algol. They these two comets formed a perfect cross over the star Algol. Algol was the Antichrist star. It is the ghoul. It is the star that represents the introduction of something undead into the world. And uh, I go into a lot of detail about about that showing ancient Arabic and, and Babylonian beliefs about that one star and what it meant and when we were supposed to be watching out for these signs. And uh, I, it's pretty interesting. It might all be wrong. I don't know, but it is very, very interesting. Well, there's an so, interesting idea that, uh, th that the Antichrist isn't a person, but it could actually be an energetic that could relate to this idea of Wetiko and that that energetic came in and it was right around 9-11 too, which is an inverse of that and that basically that energetic um is the virus that i hate to use the v word but that is the our, the aix uh as it's prepping for the 2040 this is just my theories the 2040 um uh you know phoenix event 
Um, and then my question is on the quatrains of he talks about the uh, genius, right? There's a genius quatrain that um, is the opposite of the Antichrist. Could that be the benefactor? And if that and he talks about that coming in right around the time after 12, I believe after 2040 is the benefactor coming back to where you work with you and work with others to help during that time between the Phoenix and the Nemesis X 2046 as we transition. Well, I'm a. Are you familiar with that? Are you familiar with that quatrain, the Genius Quatrain? Um, I read, I read, like eleven different translations of, of mm -hmm. Nostradamus. I my 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 library on Nostradamus is pretty big. From I have Ovasin, uh, I have I have Mario reading, of course. And there's a there's a female. I just can't remember them all, but I was focused on the date index because it was the only thing that that lined up. Now there's 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 thousands of fragments in the quatrains. There's thousands of fragments, and we can go in all different directions with them. Uh, nine of the nine of the centuries have 100 prophecies in them. That's why they're called centuries. Nine of those books, but uh, I think the tenth book was short. It was, it was 700 and something quatrains or or verses, lines of text, but. I remember reading some of the material you're talking about, but I was highly focused on Mario Reedy's dates for certain mm -hmm. events that I have already isolated in Chronicon. To, and this was only because I had read uh, Cesar Ramadi, and it, it shocked me because I'm not a sensationalist. I don't really buy into the sensationalism, but another another guy on another cell block had told me that, hey, I read one of your Nostradamus books a while back. I appreciate that, but I got one in the mail you might want to check out. I don't know if, uh, if you want me to send it to you, I'll send it to you. So, you know, in prison, we exchange books a lot with a lot. There's a lot. Everybody's got books in prison and the prison itself has a lot of books. And there's a lot of prisons in Texas. And I used to I used to do all kinds of dumb stuff just to get switched to another unit so I could have access to a whole new pool of books. I used to do it all the time. I used to get in trouble intentionally. So I know uh, this book was by Cesar Romati and I couldn't believe what it was. He was publishing the actual letters of Mikhail del Nostradam to his son, Cesar, and, and to, uh, I think it was Prince Henry or King, King Louis. It was, a, it was a, a member of the royalty. Well, the letters were published and in the letters, Nostradamus is dropping numbers that are all, um, all part of the Phoenix phenomenon, like the number 1242, which is divisible by 138. He even explains it was attached to the idea of destruction. Couldn't believe it when I found that in Nostradamus's war. It made me reinterpret the quatrains and go back and reread them with a different, a different idea. And then in one of those letters, he specifically mentions that, uh, uh, he specifically mentions the return of Phoenix and that many people will die. And then in that exact same quatrain, which I published in my book, Nostradamus and the Planets of Apocalypse, for everybody to see, and I cited Ramadi's book, it says in this letter, the Phoenix will return, many people will die, and we need to be particularly, particularly watchful for the year 1903. I couldn't believe it when I read that. When I read, that's when I, that's when I had to go back to Mario Reading's material and study the date index and, and, and go through it with a fine-tooth comb. And that's when I found out Nostradamus not only predicted the 2040 Phoenix return and in the month of May when it always happens, but he even encoded the number 138 in the quatrain itself. And I published all that. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, that is, that is really interesting. Um, I have a question here from uh, cosmic sojourner. Does Jason believe time is an arrow and the speed of light is constant? 
um, related to future and to time itself. Um, what is your opinion on that? I'm, I'm, I'm not qualified to answer questions like, I mean, I don't even believe men have been to the moon. I don't, I don't know if we really do have an accurate way of measuring the speed of light. I know for a long time it was believed to be 186,000 miles per second. I don't know. There's no way I can verify that. That's not anything anything that I can. All I can do is take secondhand information from the scientific community. So there's there's no way that I can I can give you more information that you already have in asking the question. And those questions, I don't know. Yeah. Thank so you. In, uh... In terms of waveform mechanics, uh, you know, there really is no movement. There's only the appearance of movement. And you're talking about a toroidal field repeating two cycles uh, simultaneously, uh, you know, like frames of a movie. And so what uh, the answer would be, according to the those mechanics, is it's um, you have a repetition of 186,000 frames and not actually the movement of light in the first place. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Oh, uh, this, this, this waveform you're talking about and its relation to the isometric method of prediction that I use. It's a, it's not an arbitrary. That was actually going to be my next question. So thanks. Go for it. Okay. Well, it's not a, it's not an arbitrary system that I created mm -hmm. and I've never mm -hmm. wanted anybody to believe that, that I am the inventor. And this is why from the very beginning of my predictions videos, I have released the exact formula I use so everybody can follow it and do it themselves. And some people do, I get emails from people all the time that have taken the isometric analysis method and applied it to the local, just their hometown, just their city. And they have found phenomenal things. But in my own demonstrations, before I make predictions, I show how the past led all the way up to the prediction, such as Donald Trump's life. I showed in a perfect series about 40 different elements of, of events that were from Donald Trump's life and, and all the political things that were going on, including even the eclipse of, of 2017, including the World Trade Center bombing in New York. I included everything and showed that going up to the year 1998, Every one of these events leading up to 1998, which is 666 times three, which is the year that is pivotal to the last days, according to Edgar Casey, who very interestingly had his first supernatural experience in 1902. Now, hmm. Edgar Casey, Edgar Casey identified 1998 as being both important to the Great Pyramid and to the last days, to understanding the last days. And he's right about each one of them. I have shown in the Great Pyramid that all the rectilinear measurements are divisible by 138. And this has never been scientifically explained, but it's been measured to the thousandth of an inch. So it's time for scientists to start looking at the archaics data and telling us what this means. Because I know what it means. It's the fine structure constant. It is the pulse of the simulacrum that we're in right now. And it's perfectly recorded in the measurements of the Great Pyramid. Now, this is the toroidal field that you're talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with toroid, toroidal mechanics, 100%. We are inside. I tell you about this neutral field, this, hol this holograph that we're, hologram that we're in. I believe we're in the center of the toroid and that the inside of the toroid shell is the stellosphere. This is where all the phenomena of movement occurs, even though we are not moving at all. I'm on board with that. But when it comes to isometric analysis, it's the way, it's the entire way that our time-space continuum is constructed. Just like Nostradamus said, the method he used to predict the future was dropping a, a, a water droplet into a still pool. 
That's not how he predicted the future. He didn't look at a drop of water and see the ripples going out. He's describing time space because that's what isometric analysis is. It is a single year, which is the drop. And then every year going back in time, equidistantly from every year going forward in time, is just like a wavering in the events. The, the, I'll give you an example. 2001, we all know 9-11 occurred in New York City of the state, New York, terrorists took down buildings. That's the core fundamentals. And that was, and that was in 2001, which is 1998. And you have 99, 2000, 2001. Three years after 1998, we had this happen. But was it foreshadowed? Could we have predicted if we were using this method? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because three years before 1998, in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, the only two states whose capitals are also the, the, uh, uh, the name of the state itself, we had the John Murrah building exploded in a terrorist act, a terrorist event. We have, we have the same, basically the same culprits. So this is how isometrics works. There's always some hint of a greater event to come. You just need to find the isometric epicenter. And we found many of them like 1962, 1973, 1998, 1902, and 1890. These are all excellent and I've published them for anybody to do this. I'm waiting for a computer programmer to, to come up with, with a system that we, we can map the, the past and the future quick if they just use those five dates. But the and are problem, those connected by any numerolog numerological constants of pi or phi? or anything like that, that where you can really tie those in so we could predict better to, in the future? To each other, no. They all represent the final year of ancient calendar systems. Now, what? Now, to each other, no. But to the major events that they will measure, absolutely, they're connected in proportions of phi, pi, and in fractals of pi and phi. It's beautiful. And I, show, I give so many demonstrations. And so there's so many people that have followed the, followed the deal. Anybody would have been able to to predict President Trump become, becoming president in 2016. No matter what the politics was saying, no matter what the media was saying that he didn't have a chance against Hillary and all that, anybody would have been able to predict that he was gonna get it if they would have run isometric analysis on Hillary and on Trump at the exact same time, you would have saw that Trump was gonna be the winner. So over and over, like like with the, 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 the parallels between World War II and the Civil War, I show I show how 1902 was the was the epicenter for that. And forward and backward in time, we have these events, and it's amazing. So yes, this this wave, this this wave we find, like ripples in the pond of time is the best way I can describe it. But the structuring of events are done in palindromes. This is what we're talking about right now palindromes and this is both scary and liberating because the all the major latent gene sequences that we can't identify are structured in palindromes so this all uh, this then now this goes back into vapor canopy what exactly is going to happen to the human genome what latent genes what junk dna is going to actually be activated when we're living in a new biosphere so yeah I believe, I believe that our DNA is coding, our, our holography is coded, our avatar is coded, our histories are coded, therefore our future is coded. Therefore, what I'm telling you is that the only thing actually real here, if the collective is also coded, and many, and many of the participants are actually NPCs, 
then the only thing real here are the highly individualized souls that are flowing through this confluence that they are made to believe is actual reality. So I guess the, the question here and what we would title this breaking the chains of historical cycles, um, the system itself is designed to do that. And I guess, as you say, the, um, the end date, right. Um, that you have, um, for this 2178, which has a lot of numerical, uh, interesting things about it, uh, in terms of how the math works related to, um, Right. Pi and Pi, right? Which you talked about with Sol Luckman, which was pretty mind blowing, actually. Actually, if you wanted to break that down real quick, 2178, but I bring this up because the Phoenix Protocol was really um, there to take out AIX. Am I understanding that correctly? It's a way that the resets actually allow for um, uh, the consciousness of the individual and the collective to um, re retain free will and then to um, sort of uh, end the experience and go back to what, quote unquote, is actually real. Okay. First of all, let me explain the uniqueness of 2178 and why it's not arbitrary. All right. First of all, it's on the Phoenix timeline. Phoenix, it's every 138 years. It is 138 years after 2040 it's on the phoenix timeline but just like just like the past i have also studied the future holography let me explain 5239 is not an arbitrary year theon pompous pompous and other ancient authors were very adamant that the ancient world ended with the great flood the great deluge the, the end of the titans the giants all this and they said that was the 3000th year theopompus said this the 3000th year well the old the old timekeeping systems and traditions that i've published and i cite all these sources was that there was a great year known in antiquity called the 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 ner this is the Anunnaki nerve system. It was every 600 years. Well, 600 times five is 3,000. That would give us 5239 BC. But even more importantly, the flood occurred according to the Bible in the 600th year. According to the biblical text in the Noah in, in the Book of Enoch, Noah was Noah was born at the beginning of a 600 year period. He was 600 years when the flood occurred. Therefore, we have 2239 BC great flood. Noah's 600 years old, and we have 2839 BC for the birth of Noah. Now, we take that back another 600 years, and we have exactly 3439 BC, which was the Gihon flood. It was the Gihon flood when Enki and the Anuna first entered into the historical record. How do we know that this chronology lines up? Because of a chronographical fact. That chronographical fact is that in Sumerian records that were translated in the 1930s and 40s that were quoted by Zechariah Sitchin, it is very specific that Enki and the Anuna arrived in the pre-flood world 432,000 turnings of the stars before the great deluge. 432,000 divided by 360 is 1,200 years. There you go, 600 years to Noah's birth, 600 years to the great flood is 432,000 days. 
precisely. So we go back another 600 years. And when we do that, 600 years before the arrival of, of, of Enki, now we understand why Zechariah Sitchin was so adamant that the Igigi and other families of the Anunnaki were here before Enki. He's right. 600 years before the arrival of Enki is 4039 BC. It is the capture flood. It is the first appearance of the moon. The ancient cultures now divided themselves between pre-Selenites and those who were born after the arrival of the moon. So now we can go back 600 more years to 4639 BC. From 4639 BC, we arrive at the 3000th year, 5239 BC. So from different sources, we have put together, very easily put together a construct. Flavius Josephus, very big on describing that there was a 600-year period known as the Great Year, according to ancients. Then we have in 1895, we have a very, a, I did a whole video about it. It's a, it's a very a meticulous book on calendars, and it describes, it was published in 1895, and in that book it says, even though modern chronologers do not agree, we have abundant evidence from the ancient world that all the calendars were based on 6, 60, and 600, and 600 years was the year of great catastrophes. Or, in the 600th year, a great one was born in the world. This is what it said in 1897 based off historical research. So, what I did is I took the 138-year Phoenix phenomenon, the 792-year Nemesis X chronology, the 400-year exactly dark satellite chronology, which I haven't done published a lot lately. I'm going. I got videos coming out about that. Uh, I've only mentioned it in three videos. So then I took the 600-year Anunnaki Nur Great Year. I took all these calendars and I took the Hebrew Jubilee count. And I retrograded them with a calculator and I drew an extensive chart and I went back in time as far as I could and can find no parallels and anybody can verify that. I cannot find any years in the past where any of these calendrical systems collide. But starting with 5239 BC, all the way to the great flood, they all collide. They all start, they all they all just start splintering and fracturing off from each other and building and going through history. Then the then the Olmec and the Quisha and the Zapotec and the Mayan long calendars, then the Egyptian long count uh, calendar. Then we have the Toltec. All these calendars begin fracturing off from this main geometry and they and they maintain perfect fluidity all the way to to the to modern to I mean to uh, uh, the present. Then we have a falling off. Then all of a sudden calendars stop in 1902, 1962, and then uh, uh, 2040, 2046, 2070, which is very close to predictions made by Isaac, Isaac Newton, who was also an eschatologist. So we have these calendars that stop like the Mayan long count. The Mayan long count was only 52 centuries. It's 1,872,000 days divided into 13 batches of 144,000 days each. That means under Mayan mathematics, which used a 360-day year, that's exactly 52 centuries. And this is, this is comported with ancient American traditions because the only calendars that they knew in Mesoamerica were what? The calendar round, the 52-year cycle. Nothing about 2012 is true. 
hundreds of books published about 2012 being the end of the world, end of the Mayan long count. I've to my to date, I think my book is the only one. There may be another one. I don't know. I no one's no one's maybe educated me on that. But I know my book, Anunnaki Homeworld, was published in 2011 based off research in 2007, showing that everything about the Mayan long count has been falsified. None of these books are true. And yet Graham Hancock, Andrew. Drew Collins and everybody else who was on the 2012 bandwagon is still publishing books, still putting out misinformation, and still Jason Brashear is not being paid attention to. And I'm cool with that. But the data is there for anybody to analyze. And there's a reason why it's all being ignored. There's a reason why Graham Hancock is now on Netflix pushing out a tremendous amount of BS about the younger driest period and all this stuff that is absolutely supported by scientific BS that's all been disproven as I started this video with. All this stuff about the younger driest and especially his core, his core evidence proving the scientists are right is the fact that Solon said that Atlantis was destroyed 9,600 BC. That's his evidence. Watch his shows. It's ridiculous. It's, it's so ridiculous that I can't believe that I have to keep talking about it on YouTube just to get people to yeah. understand how childish this whole theory is. But it goes to show you, too, when the elite want to push something out as fact, how clever they are in doing it and how much money they will spend doing it. It's amazing. It's absolutely Well, amazing. there's a reason why he's on Netflix and uh, holy. Uh, ancient astronaut show and while he's on rogan all the time he's a big gatekeeper somebody was saying they'd love to see jason brashears on joe rogan i said fat chance that's ever happening yeah, that's probably <laughs> you guys would have a great chat though i could just see his mind so i like joe rogan i like joe rogan i do i really like joe rogan He's just a good old boy to me. Started off, you know, MMA fighter, athlete. He's doing what he wants to do on a personal level. I have nothing against him. I cannot denigrate him for the people he interviews. Just like there's 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 people that I've had podcasts with. I do not like some of the guests that they've had, but that would never that would never put me in a position of judgment against that interviewer. That's none of my business who you interview. So I feel the same way about Joe Rogan. I like him. But I, I seriously doubt I'll ever be on there. I wouldn't. I wouldn't refuse an invitation, but I would be very careful with it because I'm not going to allow myself willingly to be ambushed because it's very easy to do. An eight, an eight-year-old child can get on a telephone and say, "I don't believe that BS." Oh, that ain't true. Anybody can do that. True value, true intellect is assessing the value of somebody's position and then explaining why you don't agree. That's where true intellect comes in. Anybody can just say, I don't believe that shit. Well, the shift is happening. Uh, more and more people are tuning into podcasts and, and conversations like this and gradually turning off Netflix. So you know, there's still a lot of normies that are tuning into the mainstream, but that shift is happening. It's very obvious. So uh, I don't even think we need to pay attention to that. Uh, my take on Joe is the same, you know, being in a martial arts game, I always liked them because I tuned into them back in the old days when you just talk to fighters and, yeah. and, you know, just regular guys sitting around the table, getting stoned, having fun with each other. But, you know, he's gotten big and, you know, I'm sure behind the scenes, he was offered a little bit of a deal to, uh, you know, maybe shy away uh, from certain material and entertain certain kinds of people and conversations, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad guy either. Yeah, I, I agree. And I know his handlers are the ones that arrange the, the guests. He probably has little to do with who comes on his show. Yeah. 
back to the breaking the chains of historical cycles and actually relating this to our individual reality as immortal consciousness. Jason, do you believe that we have the ability to have glimpses outside of this construct via, I don't know what you'd call that, the dream state, connecting to quote-unquote higher self, um, uh, having transcendental experiences through like what the Native Americans would do with heavy fasting, um, hmm. speaking of Joe Rogan, psychedelics, ayahuasca, etc. Does that give us the ability to sort of um, uh, have a projection maybe through the DNA as Sol Luckman's explained, into uh, the outside at all? Uh, have you covered this at all? I don't know if I've heard you talk Good. about this. Uh, much. I haven't covered it for the simple fact is I'm not qualified to really give even an opinion about something I've never experienced myself. I've never done hallucinogens, entheogens. I've never, these mystical experiences that people have when they, when they alter their mind, there's a pain. I, I described this in my own earlier videos from over a year ago as to why I do not do drugs at all. And so I have a defense mechanism. I don't know where it comes from, but I've had it since I was a little kid. It's a, uh, anytime that I, I am even confronted with the idea of taking something mind altering. I have a, I have an infernal panic that comes up in me. And I literally get the shakes. I, I can't do it. I can't smoke. I can't smoke anything. I can't do needles. I can't do pills. I cannot do drugs, period. It's a, my mind goes into a panic. I start vibrating at a weird frequency. It's just, it's like, it's, 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 it's some defense yeah. mode. I don't know. Now I do have friends that do mushrooms and they tell me that, that, when they're when they're doing shrooms, not every time, it's when they go on good trips, but when they're doing shrooms, they actually feel that the construct is sentient and re reacts to them. They get it. They say, man, when I'm doing the shrooms, I get it. I'm there. Nothing amazes me. I think about things that you said in archaics and I and I and I and I'm in the I'm, I'm in the zone and I feel it and and I just understand perfectly everything you're teaching, but but I don't know. I can't make that association. I can only tell you what they're describing to me i've never done anything that alters my mind i'm not going to now yeah. bear and i are big fans of uh reaching altered states through uh non-drug uh ways i mean or i'll speak to myself i'll let bear speak for himself but you know you can get this through fasting through uh meditation through um all sorts of different sorts of denial of your physicality um, and it's interesting, uh, there's this notion of the astral plane. We've had physicist Tom Campbell on the show who talks about his simulation theory and how he's, um, you know, done stuff through the Monroe Institute where they feel like they, they can see the simulation when they're going, you know, quote unquote, out of body. Um, I know you've spoken in the past about having an out of body experience yourself, right? With a severe accident. Um, okay, that was, that was an accident. And I want to clarify something real quick. Yes, I did have that experience. And yes, it was a beautiful one. I'll never forget how awesome it was to just interact and talk with people. I didn't realize how badly I was hurt in the shock I was experiencing in my avatar. But my spirit was free, free of pain, free of worry. It was it was I was like walking through a different world. I'll know I've described it many times, but I want to clarify something. The um, this whole this whole simulation theory idea, you have to understand that came at the end of a significant portion of my life's research. That came at the end. 
I didn't get that idea from drugs. I didn't get that idea from some dumb matrix movies. I didn't get that idea from because the scientific community is now beginning to entertain it or from podcasters. The idea came to me because nothing makes sense. Everything I've documented, information overload, I was unable to compartmentalize the data and shelve things that didn't fit in the paradigm no more. I had to include everything that I have discovered. And by doing that, simulation theory is the only thing on the table that makes sense of everything. And I've also admitted that I'm open to another idea if somebody can promote a paradigm that will make sense of all, all the enigmas that simulation have, theory have can are you familiar with Harold Waldwin Percival's work, Thinking and Destiny? No, I'm not. Um, he he puts forth a very sound ontological sort of, um, you should get this book. Where's my camera? There's my camera. I, I see it. Cameras. I see it, yeah. Um, uh, and related to Walter Russell, who we brought up on the first show. I'm not sure if you've dived into Walter Russell's books at all since we told you about him. But there is a really interesting concept uh, that relates to the simulation, but through the mechanics of thought creation and how we have those multiple realities. In other words, we have a collective thought-based reality that projects the present, past, and future, as well as our own individual thought creation. He talks about the triune self and how there's 12 doer bodies through multiple layers. It gets really interesting, and it's. Um, but I, I think you would enjoy the reading. Uh, it's it's a phenomenal read. I know Bear has recently gotten the book himself, and we're just exploring all of this stuff like you, Jason, trying to make sense of it because there's obviously mathematics uh, shows that there is a, a reality that is simulated in some respects, whether this is our a divine simulation or more of a construct, as you say, or, uh, or a, a complex thought-based reality based on waveform mechanics and what the mystics would call, you know, sort of our, uh, our Dharma, Dharmic contract or our spiritual contract that we sign before reincarnating all right. interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. I have, I'm not familiar with that work. It's a, uh, I don't, it, it, I don't like, I, when people ask me about other people's work, I don't like the feeling I get when, when, I want, I want, I want to admit that it has value, but I don't know because I haven't read it. But at the same time, I have this problem with cross pollination. I've always tried to keep the archaics data so so separated so people can take it into consideration and use or throw away whatever whatever they want. It's a, I'm really. I'm really hesitant about diving in into another another person's theory uh, on a paradigm. I don't mind going over other, other other channels research and stuff or other authors research on different you know aspects of the reality we're in. But when we're coming to like my big toe type stuff, when we're coming to a big theory of all reality, so I really don't want to be the guy that's accused of of cross-contaminating or saying oh archaics you got that from such and such you got because yeah. i've always wanted to be genuine and totally unique i want you to be able to assess the data without thinking that it had come from other sources recently because when it comes to simulation theory i'm very very adamant that you can remove simulation theory from the equation and it doesn't change the archaics output phoenix is still coming in 2040 nemesis x object falls in 2046 the, he came to set the captives free. Uh, eschatology, that whole message is fulfilled in 2106. The return of the chief cornerstone, the great pyramid prophecy is done. 
The gate is shut. There will be no more people passing out of this world through that gate for the escape. The exodus is over in 2106, but there's still 138 years after that until 2178 when this entire thing comes down. Because that is my core belief that we are confined within calendars. This is what this is. This is may, the thing I've been saying since the very first video. It's uh, this this structuring that we perceive as calendars is what confines us. And this confinement is over in 2178. But I don't think that it's artificial intelligence X being shut down, as you inferred earlier. I believe that this parasite has gotten out of control and it will require the entire collapse of this one particular simulacrum to go ahead and end that. Because that's what happens when a parasite takes over the host. When a parasite takes over the host, the host is compromised. So go ahead and just take the host out. And this is also a spiritual lesson because the host is just a, a husk. It's an avatar and we can move on. And this is what the promises and prophecies are. We will receive a new body, a new robe, a white stone. These are images from the ancient mystery schools of receiving a whole, a spiritual being receiving a whole new in a habitation so it's a yeah I, i'm i'm on board with simulation theory but i'm also open open to other possibilities i just can't see them right now because I, I, that's the state of our technology and everything revolves around frames of reference we always identify the particulars of an experience by the things that we already know so we know simulation theory, so that's what we're theorizing now, but it could be something far more technologically advanced that, that we just can't even imagine at this point in, in juncture in time. Um, Bear, I would say that uh, we always relate to the technology of us as the grand technology and that technology doesn't have to, a lot of people hear technology and they immediately, immediately think synthetic or digital. But this technology is actually a grand divine technology, I would say. One thing I would ask, this is something I always get because you obviously as a believing in the immortal realm or the immortal spirit of reincarnation, that we are on a reincarnating cycle here. How, how would you explain, because the cynics always say, well, if there's reincarnation, then how do you explain the population increase? If we're in a closed system, a closed construct, why is the population um, increasing? Where are these souls coming from? How are they getting in and are people getting out? That, that is a good question. Well, that, and and, and I, I have a theory, and I, and I have said this on my channel, but I have a theory that starting in 1902, the harvest began. From 1902, every soul that has ever been born in every time period in this simulacrum in the past that we have documented is born one more time starting 1902. And this explains the mass genocide and deaths that have all occurred in the 20th century. It was the harvest. As soon as 1902 began, we have this great, great, uh, what is it, influenza that takes out millions, followed by World War One that takes out millions, influenza again, then World War Two takes out millions, not only in the fighting and on the battlefields, but even in all the atrocities that were that were done against civilians in World War II. That's very, very little publicized today. Things that people don't know. And the Pol Pot, the Pol Pot genocide, uh, the Mal Malton 
Hmong, whatever his name was in China, who was exterminating people, the 22 to 26 million Christian Russians that were exterminated by the Bolsheviks, these exterminations going on in Korea, in China, all throughout the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Then the Vietnam, uh, it never stopped. In the 20th century, it just never stopped. The death rate just keeps mounting. More and more millions always dying. So I believe this is the harvest, and it will continue in a few years before 2040. Then it will continue into 2040, all the way into 2046. It will keep going all the way until the gate is shut and there's no more exodus. And who, this is why the scripture reads, let, let him who be evil be evil still, and let him who be good be good still. There will become a point, there will become a terminus when the gates are shut, which is basically the symbol of the Great Pyramid. When that gate is shut, it doesn't matter what, 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 what you are now, because now it's fixed. Your fate is fixed. So you will either stay here and collapse with the simulacrum and then return to ex nihilo, nothing, or you will move on, which is what the exodus means. The, the, the history of the exodus is actually eschatology. It is a painting of the future that you could be in, a, in attendance with. It could, be, it could be your future, the exodus, which means you're, you're leaving here, which, I, which, which ties into the other eschatological references about the benefactor. The benefactor was the architect of the Great Pyramid. The programming put into the Great Pyramid was to collapse the simulacrum because AIX cannot be dealt with. AIX is a parasite. It's too invested. It's too. It's infiltrated too much of this of this uh, simulacrum. So the simulacrum's got to come down. When the benefactor returns to do that to pull the trigger, that's when he came to set the captives free. This is all, uh, and this is what on my channel I go into a lot more. This is. This I go to a lot of detail showing the prophecies and showing the mathematics of the Great Pyramid, where every bit of this can be counted with a calculator, and all the layers of stone and all all the angles. Every bit of it, every bit of it is so easy to see once you know what you're looking for. If you have a guide like me to show you and walk you through the eschatology, it's a beautiful picture. But I believe it's the harvest that we're in now, and uh, that harvest doesn't necessarily imply that this world actually has 7 billion souls. You don't have any evidence that there's 7 billion people here. All you have is a media and an and a establishment that has told you there's about 7 billion people here. But there's no way any of us can verify that. There's just no way. We can't go out and count all those people. I'm hearing, yeah. I'm hearing now that China doesn't have near the population that we've been led to believe at all. Well, so, China, China economically is facing uh, severe, severe issues because of their one child policy that yes. um, they, they're, they've got. Like, they're about thinking 10 in years China, they won't even have workers in about 15 years. Yeah, so they, 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 they want to replace them with robots. But that being said, I couldn't agree more with you about the population thing. That's why I was seeing if you would go with that. Um, in fact, there's great, I think, um, uh, evidence showing that the population is in massive decline. Even the mainstream has had to admit that um, overall longevity is decreasing. And uh, we it's kind of reminds me of the whole crown crown virus debacle thing of all the numbers they were CNN was always showing, you know, how many people were dying and how those numbers were completely faked as it's come out. So yeah, the numbers thing is ridiculous. I would say another answer to that too is that 
what you talk about is these like NPCs that some of these bodies, maybe the AIX system or whatever this is that is trying to infiltrate is actually creating a lot more NPCs to muddy the waters as we move towards 2040. So maybe we're dealing with uh, the, the population is increasing that all these aren't actually the reincarnating souls. Well, these listen, are like NPCs are a lot more sophisticated than just creating ghost programming, people that aren't really there. Now, NPCs, I believe, and I have postulated a few times, an NPC can be a truck that's moving by that actually stops you from seeing that you need something you needed to see. An NPC can be a bird that distracts you and makes you look in a certain way so you don't see something over here that you could have learned or gained benefit from. NPCs are distractions. They don't just have to be people. Yeah. Brilliant. This has been well, such the, a... The... Go ahead, Bear. No, I was just going to say it's such an obvious polarization uh, happening now with people that are apparently here that, um, you know, we are all making a choice as far as what simulation we want to inhabit. And of course, the, the whole population, uh, uh, you know, question does fit perfectly into the narrative that says we need to reduce people, we, we need to reduce uh, people's abilities to act and move freely and so forth. And, you know, I go back to just the mechanics. I just want to finalize with this. Um, I believe in the simulation because there is ample evidence that can be applied uh, that there are real mechanics available for people to learn as far as how the simulation works. Uh, I, I'm really not an academian so much. Um, I like to grow things. Uh, you know, I practice medicine. I, I work in my laboratory. And when you understand these mechanics of the simulation, they have great practical application and you can then observe results uh, as far as your own creation and all those endeavors. So I just wanted to kind of ground in this conversation into some practicality uh, in that, you know, we're not just talking about some kind of theory out there because elements of this theory can actually be proven and many of us are doing it and historically when you get into the fields of alchemy when you get into the walter russells and waveform mechanics and and on and on you know all of these people proved it in their own way so um i'd like to just say uh we have a lot more to say about things and probably than what we realize and i believe um you know we can all we are all creating our own simulation in the meantime uh, within the collective. So Jason, thank you so much for being here again. Uh, I want to respect your time. We've been talking for a long time. I could talk to you all day long and I still have a lot of questions for you. I'm good. Uh, so, so maybe we'll do a part three down the road someday, but uh, yeah, we waited way too long for this one, but thank you. Uh, this was an awesome talk and I know our audience really loved it. Awesome. I, I enjoyed it. And uh, my only closing, my only closing remark would be, that there are three things that I hold paramount. Everything else is ancillary. All my research, all my conclusions about 2040, 2046, all, all the chronological material, it's all back, it takes a backfield. In essence, it's intuition, empathy, and imagination. And it's those three qualities that convince me I'm an immortal being and that I'm very separate from the collective. And this is why the collective doesn't really bother me. It is these three elements are what armor me from the world. 
can protect me. And it's these three elements that I'm always trying to get other people to, to learn to cultivate these. These are spiritual qualities. These have nothing to do with the intellect. They have nothing to do with the avatar. If, if things don't jive with you, I tell my, I tell my listeners all the time, especially those who come to my channel triggered and they're going through all this. They, they just don't like what they're hearing, whatever. Listen, follow your intuition. Because I know for a fact, many people have come to Archaics and emotionally had this reaction. They, 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 re, they react violently to the material. And I tell them, you just need to leave. Go, go watch other channels. Do what you want to do. Because I'm convinced that if you're on the right path, then you're going to boomerang back here when it's time for you to receive this information. If it's not time for you to receive it right now, then follow your intuition and go somewhere else. Because if I don't like Walmart... Why am I going to walk into Walmart on aisle three and then start complaining about the things that I cannot find? I'm not. I'm going to go to Target. It's as simple as that. It's <laughs> so if I follow my intuition, I'll never be wrong. It's always going to, it's always right. And it's when we go against our intuition that things go bad for us because the intuition is there for a reason. That's just, that's just what, that's really my core message on my channel. It's not, it's not even about all the chronological material. Hey, that's a great trinity, intuition, imagination, and empathy. I mean, that's a recipe for success in my book, and that's what Bear and I state all the time. We're all about the functionality of the realm and how we relate that to our daily lives. If you're wrapped up into all this stuff and you're letting it affect your day-to-day -day life and, and enjoying the simulation or enjoying the divine creation or whatever the heck you want to call it, then that's not the point. The point is to take this in and understand how you can um, essentially transmute this into beauty, into love, into magic, and how you control your destiny. Uh, and uh, that is just where we want to always leave off the show. I think that's a pretty high note, Jason. I did um, uh, pin the search, the, the really cool search functionality. I pinned in the chat. I'll make sure it's in the show notes below on your website. You've had some people really helping you recently. Um, yes. The uh, Archaics uh, Philomath uh, or the, the search uh, uh, functionality on the site, because we have so many people coming into our Telegram group or whatever asking about you. And it's a wonderful resource now because they go, well, well wh what does he mention about this? Or does he know about Rudolf Steiner or whatever? I go, go here, Just put that in and it will literally run a search and pull up any of your YouTube talks based on that content, those, those word, the query matches. It works pretty well. I was testing it out. I was pretty impressed with it. So um, I will put that in the show notes below. It's pretty cool. Uh, you have a couple new channels coming out. I know you have one where you'll be doing uh, uh, storytelling from a fantasy epic that you wrote while in prison, I believe, if I'm correct there. Uh, what... Let, let our audience know where they can find you and everything you have going on um, with all your wonderful content. Cause man, you're putting out a ton of content. Well, I mean, archaics.com has everything. It's a, uh, I mean, all, all my materials and everything I'm doing will be broadcast there. I do have two new channels. I haven't put anything on one of them. Archaics reserved. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. I've really been thinking about, using it only for some very meticulous stuff that I know will turn off a lot of people on archaics. Uh, I want to use that channel for, I'm talking about strict, strict arithmetic, things that people don't want to really want to hear, but actually proving points, showing, showing the, the, showing that our existence is in a, is a mathematical construct. I was thinking about doing, doing some just, I don't really know where I want to go with that. 
I can go in in several directions. So there's no video on there yet, but I will decide what exactly what it's for. But my other one is called the Phalorn Saga. And I did write a seven book fantasy series because I wanted to do something. You know, I, I read all the Tolkien books, all the Game of Thrones, uh, Malazan, Book of the Fallen, all the real famous fantasy series and books. And I just I find them lacking and I really wanted to do something better, something more. Yeah, I, I wanted to apply all my occult, mystic and historical and chronological research and apply it to a fantasy world and put the same situations in there because I think it's a great teaching tool. And this is what I wanted to do. And I did it. it took several years, but now I've already got several videos on there, but it's they're They're not open to the public. I'm going to do all that at the same time. Once I got about a dozen, a dozen episodes, which should take me a few days, then I'm going to go ahead and announce it. And uh, I'm going to make each video public so people can start listening to those they are free. I'm not charging anything for them. It's just, these are the fan. These are the basically the epic fantasy works that I wrote in prison. It's a huge story about how, a race of fairies survive an apocalyptic event in a world that is being taken over by humans. That's basically what it's about. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. Are, are there any vampires in it? Similar to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Jason, we love you, man. Thanks for all that you're doing. You're out there just crushing it. And what I, you're living your gnosis. You're, you're bringing your imagination, your truth to the world fearlessly. And we respect that so much. So uh, thank you for all that you're doing. We need to get you some good swag from Alpha Vedic too. Um, I'd love to get you our Illumin shirt or uh, whatnot there. We can talk to Jason about that. And also, you know, we sell amazing health products. If you want a, a little love package, we'd love to send you some of our teas or whatnot. Um, that's what that's part of our creative beauty that we put out to the world through our farm. Uh, if you guys want to know more about that, you can go to alphavedic.com, A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com and go to our telegram group, t.me forward slash alphavedic. Our new platform will be launching soon on alphavedic.com. And thank you again so much, Jason. Uh, this has been a, an immense pleasure. We will be sharing this interview far and wide. Feel free to repost us on your channel if you like. Uh, I know you like to do follow-up live streams. Let us know if you'll do that. We'll share that on our Telegram group. And guys, remember to get outside, get your feet dirt, uh, in the soil, go for a hike, go plant something. Mother Nature is, our, uh, is, our, is an amazing teacher. Go show her some love. And we will be taking next week off for Thanksgiving. Bear and Deb will be headed south to hang with uh, their kids and the fam uh, and get some, uh, probably some, not only see some tasty waves, but um, some nice warm sun bearer, some SoCal sun. Uh, that'll be nice for you. So we will not be uh, doing an alpha cast next week, uh, next week for uh, Thanksgiving. However, uh, we will be coming back strong the following week. We will be covering, uh, we're doing a whole show on biogeometry uh, where we've got uh, Jean from Inspired. Oh, he's coming on the show. You were just on his show, Jason, uh, the Inspired channel. Um and uh, and then Hannah Maria following up to talk about the souls of where she says the souls of animals. You recently did an interesting uh, stream on that, uh, Jason, talking about how you believe mammals do indeed uh, maybe project a soul where reptilians and fish do not. Fascinating stuff. So anyways, guys, go follow us if you're just new to Alphavedic, alphavedic.com. You can find all of our channels. Subscribe. We're on Odyssey. We're on Unite. 
uh, and YouTube and all that. And of course, this comes out as an audio podcast as well. Love you all. Enjoy the time off if you're in the States and it, it maybe take some time to watch some of our old shows. So uh, we'll see you next time. Peace.